Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. conclusion of our worship series that we have been exploring about beautiful and inspiring relationships in the Bible. It's been an opportunity for us to look really in depth closely at some of those relationships that have not only inspired countless believers over the years, but also still speak to us today that were so impressive, so special that they warranted being recorded in our Bible. And today, we are going to be looking at two siblings, Andrew and Peter. And for those of you that grew up in the Sunday school system, you might be very aware of these two. They have a certain special place in all four of the gospel accounts. In fact, in some of the gospel accounts, they seem to be part of this kind of inner circle among the apostles. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and Peter, and then upon occasion, Andrew as well. And today, we get a unique glimpse into how Peter came to see Jesus according to the gospel account of John. Now, some of you are probably thinking, that's not the story I remember. Because in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus encounters Peter in a different way. In those encounters, Jesus is at a shore, he is trying to speak, the crowd is gathered, and there's too many of them to be able to see and hear him. So he gets the great idea of getting into a fisherman's boat and kind of backing offshore so that they can see and hear him. And the fisherman whose boat he took. A ride in is Peter. And then Peter, after hearing and experiencing Jesus, becomes one of the disciples. But today, this is a different story. Now, some of you might be going, well, which one is true? To which I would respond, well, are you looking for objective, verifiable truth, or are you looking for spiritual truth? Because there are conflicting accounts of how Jesus has encountered Peter. But this story is one that was told because it contains a spiritual truth. It speaks something to us that is even greater than what can be proven or what historically happened. And since Jesus used stories, which we belovedly call parables, to tell spiritual truth, I feel like this is an appropriate story to follow. So whether or not it is literally true for us, it contains spiritual truth. And that truth is that things were not exactly as we might have expected in the beginning. Our story's catalyst is John the Baptist. And I picked up right after John the Baptist had actually baptized Jesus and had this encounter with him. The Holy Spirit had descended like a dove and had alighted on him. And so he was confident that Jesus was truly the Son of God. But even more than that, the Messiah, as our scripture tells us, which is translated to anointed, that the Holy Spirit was giving Jesus the power and the authority and the fortitude to do the work of the Messiah and save God's people. And John had amassed his own disciples. Sometimes we miss that nuance, that so many people had come down to the River Jordan, they had encountered John and his baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin, that they themselves became his disciples, aiding him in his ministry and following him and listening to his teachings. And Andrew was one of them. 
Andrew, who had done something very countercultural and outside of the norm, was looking for spiritual truth. And so he found himself at John the Baptist's feet, and he counts himself as a disciple, as does our scripture text this day. And then while he's in the midst of that ministry, John points out to Andrew and one of his other disciples that Jesus, who is walking by, is the one, the Son of God. And when Andrew and the other disciple of John the Baptist hear this, they immediately decide that they are going to follow him. And they do. And of course, Jesus, who is very aware that he's being followed, stops and turns around and says, what are you looking for? And that's one of those moments that reminds us that even now Jesus invites us to answer that question. What are you looking for? Who is it that you seek? We are encouraged to ask this question to ourselves and then to answer it for Christ, who is willing to take a moment and stop over all the things that God is doing every day and receive our answer. What is it that you really want? What are you looking for? And in this case, Andrew and the other disciples say, we want to see where you are staying. We want to spend time with you is what they're asking for. Can we spend some time with you? And Jesus' response is the same then as it is now. Come and see. Come and see where you can find me. Come and see where I am staying, where I am dwelling. Come and see for yourself. And so they do. The text tells us that they spend an entire day with Jesus, but it doesn't record what happened. There's a void, a vacancy in the text. What did they talk about? What did they do? Did they eat a meal together? Did they ask all of those questions that we would yearn to ask if the Messiah were in front of us? We don't know. Perhaps that's one of the first questions we can talk about with Andrew when we finally get to the kingdom. So what did you do with Jesus that day? But all we know is that no matter what was said or done, that it was so powerful that Andrew had to go and share this. Not just share it. He wanted someone to experience it. I've just had this incredible encounter, and you have to experience it too. Now, this is something that we do in our culture. If you go to a great restaurant, don't you tell your family and your friends? If you have a wonderful experience at a local business, don't you share that? I mean, nowadays, we even share it online. You can post reviews and encourage people to go. We are in the habit of telling people to experience things that are good for us. Are we willing to do the same for Christ? If we have a powerful experience with our Lord, is that something that we also share and that we tell other people that they should come with us and see? And so our figures on the altar today are Andrew and Peter, and Peter is being literally pulled off his feet. I, I've added a little bit of dramatic flair to this. But Peter is being pulled off his feet by Andrew, who is saying, we've got to go. You've got to come and see this guy. Come with me. And last week, we talked about Esther and Mordecai, and Mordecai was really pushing Esther, challenging her, pushing her out of her comfort zone, pushing her into a space where she was not necessarily safe and secure, but where she was boldly empowered in order to do something that would have a life-changing effect for her people. And today, it's not so much about pushing as it is pulling. Are we letting people know 
that not only do we want them to go, but we are willing to go with them. We are willing to experience this together. It's one thing to tell somebody, I had a great experience and you should go. But it's another to say, I'm going back. Come with me. Come and experience this for yourself. And Andrew does just this for his brother. Now, his brother was doing what you would expect an older sibling to do. He was doing what you would expect a good adult child in that day, in that age and culture to do. He was working. He was already working as a fisherman. He was born into a family of fishermen, and it was expected that he would care for his family. And in those days, your family was not just your spouse or any children. Your family was literally your parents, any siblings that you have and their family, and they lived together in a rather large family unit. And so Peter had a great mantle of responsibility on his shoulders. He had to do his job so that his family would have something to eat. He had to do his job so that they might have a little extra that they could sell so that they would have the means to live in the days ahead. And all of a sudden, here comes his brother Andrew, who's already a little flaky because he's off running around after John the Baptist. And when you go from being in your father's business to suddenly following a strange man around who wears camel suits, camel hair suits, and eats locusts and honey, you're like, great, what is it this time, Andrew? What have you found now? But Andrew is emphatic. I have seen the Messiah. I have seen the anointed one. And that word in the biblical Hebrew should arise and, and give all of these feelings of, is this our moment? Has God finally heard the cry of God's people? Has God come to us in a new and radical way in order to bring about a new future? A future where we are no longer subjects of foreign powers, but we are once more the kingdom of God. We are once more the people in a promised land. And here we abide with God with no fear that we are allowed to be in this place and care for ourselves and our families and entrust ourselves into our good shepherd's hands. And maybe that's enough. Just those words are enough to get Peter to go. But if not, Andrew says, come and see, come with me. He offers the same invitation that Jesus gave to him. Come and see. Come and see and hear Come feel it with your presence. Come experience what it is to be in the presence of God Almighty incarnate in Jesus of Nazareth. And he does. He goes and Jesus immediately recognizes him. And he opens his dialogue with Peter by acknowledging who Peter is in that moment. You are Simon, son of John. This is the way in which grown men used to identify themselves. I am this name, and I am the son of this person. We have a lot of this in the Bible. For all of you that are fans of those long genealogical lists in the Old Testament or even in the beginning of the Gospel account of Matthew and Luke, we have these long traditions of who are you and from where did you come, from whom did you come? And that's precisely what Jesus identifies. This is the earthly way people recognized Simon Peter that he was Simon, his given name, and that his entire grounding in the world was from his father. That was his identity, that was his connection, and that gave him his purpose, his life as a fisherman. But then Jesus does something unexpected. He chooses to give Peter a new name, a new identity, 
a new way of not just being in the world, but of understanding himself. Think about the ways in which we empower people to know us or to connect with us based upon how we allow them to name us or to call us by a name. You have a formal name, you have a casual name, you may even have a nickname. And giving people the power to call you by an intimate name allows them to experience a closeness, a proximity to us that they might not otherwise have. And Jesus is giving Peter a new name. He's giving him a name that will forever reorient how he thinks about himself. You were the son of this man. So who is he now? Jesus says, you are now Cephas, or if you prefer the Greek, Petrus. That he is, either way, whether you're using the, the biblical name or you're using the Greek translation, what you get is he is named after the rock. He is now Peter. And that is who he will be, not just for the duration of his life, but for us. He is the rock upon which Jesus will build his church. He is the one that through the ages has often been held up as some wonderful standard, kind of the hero of the apostles. But if we read our gospel accounts carefully and the book of the Acts of the Apostles, what we find is that Peter was a lot more like us than we realize. That he was truly someone who loved Jesus and was moved by Jesus and wanted to do his best for him. And often we see those glimpses when everybody else can't seem to figure out who exactly Jesus is, Peter declares with confidence, you are the Messiah. Yes, he got it right. But then he quickly gets it wrong by going, and you can't die. Jesus is like, that's the point of being the Messiah. That's the whole point. He's up, he's down. Or my personal favorite story of Peter, the one where there's a huge storm and they're fearful for their lives because even though half of them were fishermen, they were not really good with open water and storms and waves. And so they're terrified for their lives and they see Jesus walking on the water towards them. And Peter is the one who sees Jesus, recognizes his voice and his call and says, if you tell me to walk to you on the water, I can do it. The confidence, the assurance in who Christ is and who Christ can be for him. And he starts to walk on the water and it's one of those moments that I only wish I could have seen that. And then what happens? He gets so close to Jesus. If only he had kept his eyes on Jesus, but instead he starts to pay attention to the world around him. He starts to really look at the waves are coming up and I'm far from the boat and I can't get back easily. And all of a sudden, the terror and the anxiety start to infiltrate his being, and he starts to sink. And Jesus, who knows and loves and has claimed Peter, reaches out and keeps him from falling beneath the waves. And asks him, why did you doubt? This is the kind of lead apostle we know. That he is not perfect, but he is trying. And perhaps that's what inspires us. We too are not perfect, but we can try. We can do our very best. And time and time again, when Peter slips or when Peter falls, Jesus helps him, instructs him, guides him, forgives him, and lifts him up so that he can try again. 
And Jesus wants to do that same thing for each and every single one of us and each and every one of humankind. And that's what Andrew was inviting Peter to see. You've got to experience him. You've got to see him. It's one thing to just read about Jesus. I know that you can go to almost any hotel or motel and somewhere in there, there is a Bible. It's one thing to read it. It's another to experience it. You know, this is one of the things that is just a conundrum in humankind. You can educate yourself about something. You can even witness it. But until you do it, it's a whole other thing, right? I mean, I had been educated in biology and human sexuality, and I had watched my sister get born. I'm almost 10 years older than her, so I had kind of witnessed this, and I thought I knew what I was doing, and then I had a kid. And no, I have no idea what I'm doing. And nothing prepares you for that moment. Nothing. Because it's an experiential moment that is giving rise to relationship. And that is what Andrew knew. He had to not just offer Peter, but make him experience. One of the joys of ministry is asking people how they got to a church, right? How did you get here? Some people are born and raised in the church that they're in. Others are born and raised Methodists and throughout our life's journeys find ourselves once more in a Methodist church. I myself am here because the bishop appointed me and sent me from the church that I was serving in Norfolk here to Crozet. And some of you might be here because there's someone in your life or in your household that requires you to be here. God love you. Some of you are here because, well, let's be honest, you were raised to go to church and you're going to go to church. Others of us are here because for something that we can't quite pinpoint, for some reason, maybe beyond articulation, we saw this church and thought, I need to go there. Or someone invited us, or someone told us about it, and so we have come. We have come to this place. But here's the glory of the gospel. It doesn't matter how you came here. It matters what you do when you're here. It matters who you choose to be when you show up. Simon, son of John, walked into the presence of the Savior that day. But he chose in that moment and every moment for the rest of his life to show up as Peter. And Peter was a very fungible being in the beginning. He had to figure out what his place was and where he was and what his gifts were. He had to figure out how to lead even in the midst of the leader. He had to try to find his voice and his purpose. And so he makes mistakes because he's not perfect. But he chooses every single day to be Peter, the rock, the one that Jesus claimed in a name. Now, we exist in a world that has all kinds of different names and categories. I, before I went to seminary, I took more than my fair share of sociology and psychology classes. And there are plenty of times you do exercises about who are you? Right? What is your identity? If you first got up in the morning and had to declare who you were, what would you begin with? Would you begin with your name? Would you begin with a category to which you understand and, and organize your life around? It provides you a center and a grounding. 
I, mean, I grew up in Virginia, and so I had a very specific way of understanding myself as a citizen of the United States of America. And while I would love to claim that as Southern, my family from Georgia would laugh at me. And so I will just claim to be a Virginian from south of the Mason-Dixon line. Uh, but that was a real central part of how I understood myself growing up, is that I was a Virginian. And it was really apparent when, we, when you were with people that weren't Virginians. That kind of made it all more clear of what you were versus what you weren't. And so you would find opportunities in your life to figure out who you were and then be with people that upheld who you were or that helped you to feel more comfortable by being similar to who you are. And there were times in my life where it was glaringly apparent that I was Caucasian. There are times in my life where it's been glaringly apparent and people will help you remember that I'm a female. There are times in my life where I've associated based upon where I went to school or what level of school I was in. But the more that I started to follow my call to ministry, the more it became clear to me that the way I wanted to define myself, the way I wanted the world to experience me was not about my physicality, but it was about my faith. And so the word that I first use to now describe myself, the identity that is mine when I first wake up and look into a mirror is Christian. Lord, a Christian is before you this day. And so that enables me to connect with people that don't look like me, with people that don't even speak my language. We are a global denomination in the United Methodist Church. There are Methodists all over this world. On every continent, there are Methodists. And they have an incredible way of connecting with one another. Anywhere you go and you see the cross in flame or you see United Methodist Church, you are with family. You are with people that are not just Christians, but they proclaim in a world of Christianity that they choose to be defined by God's grace. And that is who we are. We are a people of grace. And so we believe that there is nothing that we could do that cannot be forgiven. There is no sin and no past from which we cannot be forgiven and we cannot repent and turn away from that and embrace a new day. We are a people who recognize that God has given us a bright and beautiful future, enabling us to leave our past, our stigmas, our failures, even our sin and death behind and walk boldly into a new day. And day after day, we can make this journey because we know where we will be at the end. And that is in the kingdom to come, at the feet of our Savior, in the company of other great Christians like Peter and Andrew. We are those that choose to be defined by how we love because we have first been loved. We are those that choose to share with this world radical forgiveness because we have been radically forgiven. And that identity is what causes us to do things that the rest of the world sees as frivolous and irrational. Why would you take one of your few days off for some of you to get very dressed up and come out at an early hour and not eat brunch? Why would you come into a place 
and be with people that don't necessarily look like you or inhabit the same social circles, why would you do that? Just because you're geographically connected? What kind of sense does that make? And why, in the midst of that, would you give up your money? That doesn't seem like a very rational and worldly thing to do. But you've been in the presence of God Almighty. You know what God can do, not just for you, but to you. If you've ever felt the forgiveness of God wash over you, then you know that there is no place you would rather be. If you have ever felt the love that Christ died on the cross to make available to you every single moment of your life from before you were born until long after you have passed, then you know that there are these things that you can't quite put words around. You can't show somebody. They just have to come and see. And that's when we get inspired, not so much by Peter, but by his sibling. The one who said to him, you've got to come and experience this Jesus. You've got to see for yourself. And perhaps Peter would have said, you know, I, the last time you introduced me to that John the Baptist guy, and he was weird. I'm good. Or you have really bad timing. I'm supposed to be at work, and obviously you're not going to fish today. Or don't you know that somebody has to be responsible? Don't you know that one of us have to carry on the family career? Somebody's got to provide for the next generation. Somebody's got to take care of our parents as they age. Somebody's got to make sure that all of us are going to be able to eat something today and tomorrow. But for that moment, for whatever reason, Peter follows Andrew. And all four gospel accounts are clear on this. When confronted with the opportunity to see, meet, and experience Jesus, Peter immediately does. No matter what faults and failures he has, when the invitation is given to come and see Christ, Peter goes. And perhaps it is actually that willingness the desire to take the first step that gives Peter that position, not just in the apostles, not just in the scriptures, but in the entire tradition and heritage of Christianity across almost 2,000 years and the globe. He is held as one of the first because he was willing to go. And his willingness to continue to go and then to show others and to be present and to be engaged with what Jesus is saying and doing for others. Not only does he have a very close seat in proximity to Christ, but because of him, others are going to have access to Jesus Christ. And if you're a part of the church, then you've had a Peter. You've had someone who has given you proximity to experience Jesus Christ. Maybe it was your parents. Maybe it was your grandparents. Maybe it was someone within the church that connected to you in a ministry, whether for children or for youth. 
Someone who, because of their willingness to own their identity as a disciple of Jesus Christ, gave you the gift of first encountering our Lord and Savior. And that is what we have to remember, is that at some point, someone is going to be open to the possibility of experiencing Jesus Christ. And then whether we like it or not, we are the ones that are there at that moment. And what do we do? Do we send them on without us? Do we tell them to look it up and Google it? Do we tell them, you know, I'm really kind of busy today, you know, I got a job, I just can't do it today? Or do we respond immediately, like Peter did? Because not only did Andrew introduce Simon Peter, but then he got to be once more in the presence of Jesus. And he too got to be a part of that ministry. It's a way of being in this world. It's not just a thing that we do for an hour or so on Sunday. It's not just something that we do for a period of time in our lives. It is who we are. This is our identity. Because the message that Jesus was sharing then with Andrew and Peter and the others, the message has remained that despite everything that was happening in the world. And in those days, Jews living in Galilee were not considered a classy people. They were not considered a people with whom you would want to affiliate. They were not considered a people worthy of attention and dignity because there were other superpowers in the world and they looked down on the vassal state of Israel. But all of a sudden, in the midst of the daily grind and turmoil, knowing that their people had fallen from their golden age, in the midst of all of those truths and realities, God appeared in Jesus to Peter. And in the moment when he could choose to wallow in his reality, he instead responded with faith. I see you and hear you, Lord, and I am yours. Where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. May the Lord do such and more to me if anything but death parts us. You can hear Ruth echoed in the life of Peter. And in the days ahead, as we continue to grow into our faith and mature in our spirituality, who will be echoing in your words, in your relationships? Who is it that will reverberate in all that you say and do with another person? May it be the one who has declared from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation and every day thereafter that you are beloved, a being of sacred worth, and that God's self would move the same heaven and earth that God created to eliminate every obstacle, every barrier, every sin, so that you can join God in the kingdom of heaven that is to come. And if that message means something to you, then that is what you need to share 
with another. Someone who doesn't believe that they can be loved. Someone that still can't comprehend that the God that made all things not only cares about them, but already knows them, has already opened up the path of grace almost 2,000 years ago in a Judean Jew. Or that they can choose a new identity. That no matter what stigma or category the world has foisted upon them or that they have allowed to become part of who they are, that the waters of baptism wash us clean and we can stand up before any and all under the name Christian. That's the gift. That's the call. That's the mantle that we wear. Because almost 2,000 years ago, a fisherman decided to take off his fisherman's gear and get out of his daily grind in a boat and put on the mantle of Christ. And he's been passing it on to Christians like you and me for almost 2,000 years. And here's the beautiful thing. That mantle, it has great importance. But when you are wearing grace on your shoulders, you can rise above anything. And you can bring others with you so that they, too, can come and see. May it be so. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.